Hello and welcome to the pod, people. The show where we cast hexes on your hearts and minds. I'm one bad son of a witch, Matisse Van Rossum. Witch! <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets. Ben Sheets! <laughs> Sheets! And this week... We are talking Suspiria, old versus new. Which one is the better witch movie? <laughs> which, which one is the which, real which witch? Which is which, bitch? <laughs> That's the question that we're here to answer today on the pod, people. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we saw both of these movies in theaters. Yeah, which was actually pretty dope. They were. They just happened to be playing a re uh, a restored 35 millimeter print of the original at the Carolina Theater and we got to go see that so that was pretty cool to be able to see both of the movies on the big screen yeah and i i mean we both have a lot of a lot of feelings about both of these movies. Yes. But I think regardless, the best way to see both of these was on the big screen. I think it's the best way to compare them. Definitely. Especially um, considering that, like, the original came out in 77, so obviously neither of us have ever seen it on the big screen before. Well, yeah, definitely. And uh, the original, it's such a spectacle that it almost demands a big screen, in a way. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that. I guess we'll, we're just going to jump right in and we'll, yeah, talk, we'll talk about the original by legendary... Italian giallo filmmaker Dario Argento came out in 1977, like I said before, and um, is generally considered to be like one of the greatest classic horror films of all time by most people. Definitely a cult classic. It's it has a very devoted fan base. It's kind of niche. Yeah, it. Know? I think if you were to talk to any like, fan of classic horror films, like a true horror fan that Suspiria is probably in their top ten of all time for most people. Um, this was my second time seeing it. I believe this was my third time seeing it. And, yeah, I, I'm i in the small camp of people who does not really like the original yeah. Suspiria. Um, I, I think it's pretty pretty overrated. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that opinion a hundred percent because i think if you're going into this movie looking for a strong plot you're not gonna have a good time but i think the movie works on a different level than that and that's why it's so effective for me well since you're the one who who likes this movie of the two of us, I'll sort of let you expand on that and how you think it works and on what levels, and then I'll provide my thoughts okay, after that. Okay, sure, yeah. So I've been thinking about the best way to phrase this, and I think comparing it to a work of music does it a lot of good, and you have to consider in the same way for music, you can argue, you know, what makes music good is it lyrics is it writing is it being in key or is it making you feel something you know and i think at its core music is about making you feel something regardless of the tools it uses or even how effective some of the things it does are and you can use alternative modes of you know expression to do that it doesn't have to be all based on the 
you know, technicality or the lyricism of a music for it to make you feel something. Yeah, I agree you with can that have 100%. A lot of, you can have a lot of atmosphere built and you even look at things like drone or ambient where it's non-melodic but it can make you feel something. And I think in that same respect, you can look at films in the same way. You have to kind of think about what the core concept of a film is trying to do. This is where it kind of gets into a philosophical argument a little bit, because I guess you could argue they're to tell stories, but I would argue it's more primal than that. It's to make you feel something. And I think the story in Suspiria... You know, it's very, very simplistic, very inspired by fairy tales, by, you know, expressionism, John Cocteau, German expressionism in a lot of ways. And it tells a very simple childlike story, but the techniques that are used to do it, you know, whether it's the very expressionistic use of Technicolor uh, whether it's these sweeping camera movements, the excellent score by Goblin, theme song absolutely slaps. Oh yeah, it's been stuck in um, my head for days. Or even just the sense of unease you get by the off-kilter combination of elements in the movie. It builds this feeling of unease and very surreal sense of something wrong that I don't see in many other movies. And I I was in a similar camp to you the first time I saw this movie because I was paying a lot of attention to the story. Um, and the story here, you know, it's paper thin. It's very childish. But on repeat viewings, knowing knowing the story, it allowed me to pay less attention to that and focus instead on the techniques used and the spectacle and the way it made me feel. Yeah, sure. Uh I I'm I'm definitely in the opposite camp of you on this movie. Um I I think I actually liked it less this time than the first time I saw it. I think part of the reason that is is cuz the first time I saw it was when I was in film school and I think that I sort of sycophantically talked myself into liking it because it was considered such a classic and I didn't want to be like the one person who didn't like Suspiria. So I like did all of this shit to convince myself that it was better than it actually is. <laughs> you didn't is. want to be the one contrarian. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be the contrarian. It's funny because um, when I saw it in film school, it wasn't the first time I'd seen it, but when I saw it in film school, I was the exact opposite i was that contrarian yeah well i mean you're you're pretty good at being a contrarian in general <laughs> and I, I just at that time i did not want to be that dude but now i don't really give a shit and i'm not surrounded by a bunch of other film students and stuff so it in this in this case, like seeing it on the big screen, and you know what? Now that I think about it, last time I saw it was actually on the big screen at this fucking student union. Oh yeah. So I've actually <laughs> seen Suspiria on the big screen twice. But this time I I don't know. I I looked at it with a more critical eye. And for me it's just like I, I totally get the whole 
like mood piece thing. But I think that this movie rides a line that where it, it needs to go to one side or the other. It either needs to go much more simplistic or rather minimalistic with its narrative. I would say to the point of having almost no dialogue or it really needs to tighten up the narrative and make it much less sloppy. It's somewhere it's somewhere in the middle. I, I can understand the comparison to music because uh the goblin score is one of the strongest things, if not the strongest things about the original Suspiria. Um so in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like an eighty minute music video for that one song <laughs> over and over again. So in that sense, I think that the visuals do a really nice job of accompanying the music, and I think those are the the strongest segments of the movie uh, when it is just music and visuals. But the my problem just lies so heavily with how sloppy the narrative is and how underdeveloped a lot of the characters are and sort of... Uh, I think there's sort of a general lack of motivation in a lot of the characters, and especially in the villains. It's something that I have a really hard time getting past because I I want to like it. I I think the the central concept is really interesting. This American uh, girl travels to a dance academy in Berlin, and it turns out that the academy is run by a coven of witches, who are killing people for reasons. Um, and that that's one of my problems with the movie, is that they are just killing for, for reasons. There's not really much rhyme to what they're, what they're doing. Right, much rhyme or reason, I guess. And that just feels like so underdeveloped, and it makes me you know, feel like, why am I really supposed to care about what's happening? Well, first off, I will say I'm in total agreement with you on the soundtrack. Like, it totally elevates it when it's used, and a lot of times it's used incredibly effectively. I think of, like, the first airport scene where we're cutting between seeing Jessica Harper go towards the exit door, and then we get POV shots where every time we get the POV shot, it's blasting the the Goblin soundtrack. Right. And it gives the sense of you know, turn back now, uh, things are gonna go right, very she's wrong. moving closer to yeah, the door. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, that stuff, I think, is how you do visual storytelling well. And, you know, for, for its time, this movie was, like, hyper-stylized. Like, I don't think there's, there's like, a single white light bulb in the entire goddamn movie. <laughs> you know, it's all neon, and the set design is very uh, fantasy-influenced and fairy tale influenced so like all of the 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 aesthetic of the original suspiria is excellent that's something that i'll give it the combination of the cinematography the camera work the the art design the set design uh the costumes the music like it all has such a, a strong like powerful aesthetic and that's what lets me down about it is because the story doesn't stand up to that aesthetic well, that it's that it you know sets when you were saying that you you mentioned fairy tale which i think is a very apt comparison in a lot of ways sure you know the the story is very childlike and it's 
it's based on folklore. The the idea of you know a coven of witches right. uh, in a dance academy that was a tall tale that was uh, passed down the line generations. So I think that's kind of why this the story didn't bother me as much because I I feel like most fairy tales don't have like super in depth. You know, character. Uh, no, I agree. Motivation. I don't have. I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with simplicity, but I. I think that they could have still made the story a little bit stronger. I think a lot of that would have been carried by better characters, and in several cases, better actors. Like some of the acting is just downright bad. Uh, Jessica Harper is pretty good. Um, they actually saw her in Phantom of the Paradise, and that's why they mm-hmm. wanted to to get her for this movie. She was Phoenix in that. I think the the lady who plays uh, Mrs. Tanner is pretty good, but other than that, like I think the acting is is pretty weak. Uh, well, and it it kind of gets elevated too because it is an Argento film and in Americanized uh, Argento film where, you know, he was focusing on making English dubs right. for all of his movies at the time. And so you have Jessica Harper, who's an American actress, and she's, you know, basically not dubbed. Right. But you have other characters that are just awfully dubbed. Right. And the performances take a hit because of it, I think, sometimes. Because there's some lost in translation. Well, I mean, Italian cinema was really late on getting on in the camp of recording live audio. A lot of that came out of necessity after World War II and everybody was really fucking broke. So they couldn't really afford to record sound on set. But then it sort of became a stylistic thing, especially for the giallo subgenre of Italian horror. So most of Argento's films from these, you know, from this era are dubbed. And like what that does is it leaves open uh, a lot of really cool sound design, like having to build the sound effects. And I think that a lot of that is done really well. The Some of the dialogue can, can definitely be off-putting at first. Like, I've seen enough Giallo and enough Argento that dubbing doesn't bother me terribly, but the bad performances do. The, the, uh, the bad dubbing in this movie was pretty egregious at times, yeah. which is surprising, always surprising to me because I think the sound design in this movie is pretty incredible. Um, and the mixing is really good, but it's just that dubbing is just throws me off. And I mean, I guess you could argue, you know, it makes the movie seem off, but not in a good way. No, I, I not can... in an intentional way. I feel like, like, everything else i can i can agree with that but the the dubbing was one of the things that bothered me least about the movie i guess i i feel like i should also qualify that like in general i am a big fan of dario argento like to say that i like this movie or i dislike this movie is not because i dislike him uh and in fact i think part of the reason i i do dislike it is because uh all of the other films of his that i've seen I, I thought were really good. They impressed me a lot. And so the the fact that this film has such like an elevated status in his filmography and stuff like Opera or Deep Red or Tenebrae 
don't. I mean, they still do. I mean, ki- <laughs> kind of. Deep Red, yeah, but, like, when most people think of Argento, they think of Suspiria. And I just don't think it deserves that. I, I think that he is such... Uh, a better filmmaker than than this movie would lead you to believe. I mean, granted, I know he's still alive. I think he is. I haven't seen any of his recent output in the last two or three decades. But uh, well, I, I I saw the Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That was his first uh, one, wasn't it? A couple months ago. Yeah, it was playing at the Carolina as well, and I wasn't really impressed i haven't seen it was kind of boring it wasn't very stylized it was okay but it was just kind of boring honestly um but i think the strength of this movie lies in its visual storytelling more than its literal storytelling through the camera work through sequences like the airport sequence or you know the the sequence where the woman falls through the glass pane and her heart gets stabbed, you know. The, yeah, some of the effects are really good. And There's a lot of good practicals and gore and stuff. Yeah, and I, I would even argue that the story is the set pieces. Yeah, I, I can agree with that to an extent, but then that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where if that's really the route they wanted to take, I think they should have gone even more minimal and done much less or no dialogue. Because I think what Argento does really well in his other movies is they are less stylized. In terms of camera work, they're always pretty stylized, but he he did a lot of like slasher films that are sort of like investigation kind of stories, like figuring out who is the killer, murder mystery mm-hmm. kind of things like that. Whereas in this one... That's not really the case. Like, it's a coven of witches doing black magic and killing people. Um, So it's dealing with the supernatural, which is something that he didn't do a ton prior. And there's still, like, an attempt to make this, like, an investigation story at times. And I think that that's so underdeveloped in this movie and so weak that it's really hard to care about. So I think if they did really want to make it a visual storytelling mood piece, then it should have been much more minimalistic. I think he was trying to do too much of what he did in other films, and the the clashing of styles doesn't work for me. Yeah, I just never felt like the the murder mystery was that much on the forefront. You know, it's in there, but I feel like it's almost just used as a secondary vehicle to get to one from one side piece to the next. And you even get more visual storytelling sequences like Sarah and Susie counting the footsteps, which I think works pretty well, honestly. Um, I think, you know, Susie discovering the iris in the room and turning it works that pretty well. That opens the secret yeah. corridor. Yeah, um, uh- I think the final sequence when she's first discovering the witches, I mean, the the Marco stuff at the very end can be its own conversation. Yeah. But I think the sequence when she's walking down the hallway 
and slowly discovering what's going on is pretty effective. I mean, I guess, but I don't feel like she's really discovering that much. Like, when she finally comes upon the coven, all she hears is them saying, kill the American bitch, but there's no reason for that. Like, why do they hate her so much? Like, what has she done to to draw their ire so so fiercely? Well, that's and it's thing. like it's not much of a revelation. Like, she's the protagonist. We already know she's in danger, and hearing it out of the villains' mouths that she's in danger doesn't do a whole lot to to advance anything. I don't think. Like, but I mean, I think the thing is, and we even get this from the very beginning with the the airport sequence when you know we get the music when we get her point of view argento wants to bring us into her perspective and see see the events of the movie through her eyes in a lot of ways in this movie and i think it works for me because at that point in the movie you know it's right near the very end and argento has used all of the rest of the film to bring us into you know her perspective and by seeing it being immersed in it like that and seeing it through her eyes it does become a little creepier just because we know you know she's the protagonist and they're the bad guys doesn't make it less spooky for her in the context of the film i mean i suppose so but like i said like we already know that she's in danger so and we already know that there's witches at work so that there's no real revelation in that scene. It would be one thing, like, if they had plans specifically for her. They're like, they're going to kill her because uh, they need a human sacrifice to do such and such. Or, you know, they're going to possess her or something. Like, anything like that, then it would... I, I think that that moment would be stronger because, she, yeah, she's known that she's in danger, but now she knows what the stakes are. And instead, it's just them being like, kill the American bitch. She has to die. Uh, OK, I mean, I mean, the stakes are her living or dying. I mean, I guess. But yeah, it's from her perspective, but we're still sitting in the theater watching it like it, it doesn't draw you in so much that like we already know her life's in danger everybody around her has been killed like that has been the stakes the entire time so what's the point of a revelation if it doesn't reveal anything new you know i mean to the audience yeah it doesn't but i mean i feel like it works more in context of Susie's arc i guess you could say I don't know. It didn't really bother me that much. I mean, on top of that, it you know, like we said before, it's a fairy tale story in a lot of ways. So, like, the explicit explanations on why they want to do such and such didn't really... The lack of that didn't really bother me. Um, yeah, except for the fact that a couple of scenes prior, they have a really obnoxious exposition dump where she goes to meet this like psychoanalyst or whatever who studies the the delusions of people believing in witches and he just gives her all this information about witches and like oh they're evil and they they gain material wealth by hurting people 
It's like yeah, that scene was uh, super okay. unnecessary. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Maybe maybe um, it would have maybe that that scene where she comes across the coven at the end would have been more effective if you hadn't had that before because then it's just like okay, you're at this point in the movie. Here's your antagonist. Here's what they're doing. Except they're not really doing anything. Here's really flimsy motivation. Like what is the point of what is happening here? The one thing I will give that scene is it's brief in comparison especially and we'll get into this when we talk about the next movie in comparison to the doctor and the new one like after watching the new one i was like you know what like even though the the original has the doctor with an exposition dump at least he wasn't in the whole movie i mean yeah investigating and stuff i guess so but i i still think it's even in the original having him there is really unnecessary out of place place, especially because they they treat that also sort of like a revelation because that's the first time that they really start talking about witches but throughout the rest of the movie at times in the the goblin theme there'll just be a voice that goes witch yeah so it's like uh, well the movie is not aiming for subtlety at any point right that's very clear it's definitely it's definitely not subtle and so to once again that scene even feels unnecessary because thanks to the score we know that there are witches here so you know i don't know i don't know those are those are like the the narrative things that i think that argento is capable of doing better that he didn't because i've always thought argento's weakest point was his story like story stories i think you know he works best in style and conveying ideas more so than like story. I mean, I don't know. I think I think movies like Opera and Deep Red have pretty engaging narratives. Uh, I mean, once again, those are more like murder mystery uh films, but I think he's, you know, I think he's good at at revealing you know, new information and stuff like that. I think they those films do have pretty strong narratives, and I don't. But I think the best parts of both of those films are told visually more so than they are with like straight up dialogue and narrative. I mean, I guess, and that also has something to do with the dubbing and you know having people who don't really speak English that well dubbing English lines. And stuff like that. So, no, I, I, I can see where you're coming from in that sense, but... One of the uh, strongest visual scenes in Suspiria that I do want to talk about a little bit, because I think it's one of the most effectively scary scenes, is the uh, the maggot scene. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, Jessica Harper is combing her hair. And maggots start falling from the the ceiling. Well, first she starts she she starts like finding maggots like in her comb, like as yeah. she's combing her hair. Which well, right before you see them fall, it's very subtle. Like I didn't catch it the very first time I saw it. Yeah, but. I don't know if I caught that either, but I I do like she looks down and there's like a maggot squirming in the teeth of her comb and then all you know, she freaks out and like starts going through her hair and then she looks up and they're on you know, they're falling from the ceiling. I do think that is a, a pretty legitimately effective scene just because it's it's gross, like maggots are creepy crawly. 
And they go up into the attic, and there's just a shitload of them up there, just like thousands and thousands of maggots. Uh, I, I will, I will definitely agree with you on that one. That one's probably, and I think the Haydn style of it made it more nightmarish in a lot of ways. Sure, because when you go up to the the attic, it's all like blue filtered. Right. The the camera work, you know. It gives us some punch-ins and some close-ups of these maggots just infesting the... But I but I do think that for a scene that I, that I will agree is probably the most effective in the movie, it happens pretty early on. So I feel kind of like they blow their load a little bit with how well done that scene is and then nothing quite lives up to it for the rest of the movie. Well, I, I I don't agree with that. I think they have a lot of other good, effective scenes and bits of storytelling like that, like tableaus of sorts. Like, you have that, you have the... I think, honestly, I think the blind man getting bitten by a seeing eye dog is not bad. I think that's a pretty good scene. I think uh, the scene where they're counting footsteps, once again, is a really effective scene. The kind of pans through the hallways uh, are very unnerving and they say a lot without really saying anything specific in terms of narrative. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really effective scenes throughout this movie. Ultimately, you know, I agree with you that like the story is the weakest element, but I think it works in spite of that. I don't I don't know. I I agree with like there being nice tableaus and that the visuals do a lot to build atmosphere. It's just so hard for me to care about what's happening in those set pieces a lot of times. Uh, just cuz like I think a lot of the characters are kind of stupid too. Like we we should clarify that in the original version of this film, Argento had planned on using like like twelve year old girls, like actual children, and then the studio didn't want these sort of like really violent dark themes with like children so they you know made them young women so like you can look at it that way and sort of explain away some of the childishness of some of the characters but it's just so corny a couple of times yeah but i mean it felt more uh it felt more it added to the fairy tale element to for me um it the childlike element kind of added to the surrealness of it i i disagree with a lot of that like when after the maggot scene when they have to set up the makeshift dormitory and like the the dance studio or the gym or whatever uh and they have like all these sheets set up and uh they had they set up a bed for helena marcos and she comes down and lays behind the sheet right behind uh Susie and uh Sarah and she's like wheezing and we can see like her silhouette red lit and they're just lying there in bed and they're like do you hear that snoring where's it coming from it's like it's right fucking behind you it's literally right behind you you can see the silhouette of the person right fucking behind you and 
then later when Susie is like drugged and she's talking to Sarah and she's like, oh, the teachers aren't leaving the school at night because the door is to the left and the footsteps are going off to the right. And Sarah's like, you're a genius. Why didn't I think of that before? Like, that's also super obvious. <laughs> and it's just like these... I. I, in, a literal, in a literal so sense, in, in a very literal sense, it doesn't work. But like, if you look at it in, as in expressive, you know, not literal sense of them representing what's going on, I think it works a little better. It's so hard for me to not look at that literally, though. And even in, like, the when Sarah dies in the room full of razor wire, which is an interesting tableau and visually pretty effective, but, like, she's come through the window and she's standing on, like, a crate off the floor, and then she just jumps off of it without looking down and just jumps into this massive, like, pool of... Of barbed wire that would have been really obvious had she just looked down and she just blindly leaps into it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's that literal sense. It, I feel like the idea was she, it wasn't there through her perspective, but since she's dealing with witches. It that was just it was just it, all of a sudden when she jumped down. Yeah, I mean, I guess that doesn't come across to me at all, though. I I don't know. It's. It, it's hard to not look at some of the stuff uh, literally, and I, I think, once again, that goes back to it not being minimal enough. Like, if they're really trying to be so dreamlike and atmospheric, then they should really go, like, as minimal as possible with the with the dialogue and the story. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just never felt like the story was that excessive outside of the exposition dump with the doctor. You know, like, I feel like it doesn't really overstay its welcome. We get a steady pace of set pieces throughout that break it up. I, I think it I think it does too much, uh, like, writing a line in the middle. I think it, it just really needs to go one way or another to be more effective. And I, I think that the 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 climax is kind of anticlimactic as well in in a way that that disappoints me when Susie does stumble across Helena Marcus's room and Marcos turns invisible and she like brings back Sarah as a zombie and it looks like. Susie's really in danger, but then she sees like the outline of Marcos in the bed and just stabs her in the neck without anything happening prior to that. Yeah. And then the coven is defeated because you kill the the head witch and it kills the rest of the witches. And then she just runs out. Like it's it yeah, doesn't it's very abrupt. I do really like having Sarah come back. I do too. You know, with her throat cut and stuff. And she's got like pins in her eyes. Yeah. Like that design is really cool. And I would have liked that to be more of either like a chase or a fight or a struggle or something. Because really all it is is Sarah just comes through the door and she has a knife and she's slowly walking towards Sarah or towards Susie. And then Susie just stabs Helena Marcos in the neck and then that's it. Like it's. She so easily defeats these witches, like beings that we're supposed to believe are like all powerful and they don't seem like that much of a threat if they're so easily defeated. And then she runs out into the rain 
and you know she's safe and the the whole ordeal is over yeah that, i mean that the safety and the ease at which she she defeats the witches doesn't feel earned i don't think i think there it it definitely feels abrupt it should like, it should have been it should have been harder it should have been more m- more of a toll on on Susie, i think yeah than it is I, I I agree that the, the ending isn't the strongest, and it's pretty abrupt, but I feel like the strength lies in the journey more so than the 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 resolution in this movie. Because I agree the, the, the final sequence is kind of weak, but I think, you know, up to the point where she actually stabs Marcos, I think it's not bad. I think it's somewhat well done. You know, with her going in the hallway and Sarah coming back and her feeling overwhelmed. Um, The conclusion is, you know, like you said, kind of weak where it's just a stab and run away. Yeah, it's well. And I also think that, like, if you're talking about it in terms of the journey, like not all that much happens to Sarah or to uh, to Susie in this movie. Like we get a few people dying, but none of that happens while Susie is around. Like everybody else who dies in the movie, you know, dies on their own in a separate scene. And other than getting attacked by the bat in her room, like not that much actually happens to Susie. Well, yeah, no, it happens around her. And we get, you know, these very stylized scenes where we see what happens. You could even argue that, like, a lot of times when we're seeing what happens to these other people, we're seeing Susie's imagination or interpretation of what happened to these people. I mean, maybe, but still, I don't... I don't feel like by the end Susie has been on that much of a journey. You know, she's she's our protagonist, sure, but it doesn't feel like much has actually happened to her until the end. And then, like I said, she she, you know, defeats the witches very, very easily. So it's like I don't even feel like there's that much of a of a of a of an arc for her because she's sort of just like there while these other things happen in the school that we as the audience see but she does not. So, I don't know. It once again all of my problems with this movie come down to the story because the I I can't reinforce enough like how visually stunning this movie is it is really really fucking nice to look at and seeing it on the big screen is cool especially in a a restored print like it looked fucking great and the sound design is great and the music is great so like if you want to if you want to sit and watch like an 80 minute goblin music video then i think it's good for that but as an as a narrative i don't think it has all that much merit i would i would agree that the story itself on a literal level is the weakest element of it but i think there's a lot of elements of visual storytelling that work well and i think limiting it to just a goblin music video is selling it a little short because i think it as a package it does more than that um, with its visual sense of style. I mean, I guess, but like music videos are very much about visual storytelling and having, 
you know, visual representations of what the song is about, whether even if, you know, it's not a a direct translation of the lyrics or whatever, like it's, it's supposed to be a visual accompaniment to the music. And I think that that's what Suspiria does the best is it makes a, a good visual accompaniment to the score. See, I think it's the other way around. I think the Goblin score works really well as an accompaniment to the visuals, and it adds to the 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 fantasy and the fairy tale esque, you know, with with the little chimes at the beginning of the the score. I mean, yeah the 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 main theme is very uh, fairy tale esque. I think uh, it's kind of like a lullaby almost. Um, and I like that there that Goblin has different variations on that main theme that it uses throughout the movie, so it doesn't get too repetitive. Because um, overall, it's a, a pretty simplistic melody, hence why it gets stuck in your head so easily. From from that standpoint, I, I think that you know it does a really good job of creating that atmosphere and that mood. Uh, you know, I just, I just don't give a fuck about the story at all. And, and in that sense, I think it's kind of boring. Um, do you want to go ahead and rate this? Cause I feel like we're starting to go in circles a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that the story is the weakest element of this movie, but I think on an experiential level, um, it is incredible. The style is incredible. The sound design, the score are incredible. The uh, the set pieces are often incredible. The camera work and the sense of an ease the the total package gives you is really unique and unmatched in a lot of ways. Um, the story is bare thin and very childlike and and fantasy and fairy tale and dream like almost. Um, but that didn't bother me. I can understand uh, on a first viewing being taken aback by that stuff and not being that into it. But I think uh, if you do go out to see this movie, I would absolutely recommend not paying too much attention to the story and instead letting the feeling and the emotions and the expressionism of the movie kind of encompass you and take you in and immerse you. Because I think that's where the strongest suit of this movie really is. And I would give this movie a four out of five. I think it's really pretty good. Um, yeah, I I was hoping when I went into this movie that I would get more out of it on on a second viewing, but in fact, the opposite happened, and I like it. I liked it less the second time I saw it. Um, I I do think that it has sort of unparalleled aesthetic just the combination of everything you know the way it's shot the way it's lit uh the art design and so on and so forth and the goblin score that we've talked about ad nauseum um is all really strong but outside of that it it does not have a lot to offer in my opinion 
Um, I, I've compared it a couple of times to the works of Nicholas Winding Rain, where it's all style and no substance. Uh, it's much less pretentious than his movies, so I find it less frustrating. But I have a lot of the same problems with Suspiria as I do with stuff like Only God Forgives or The Neon Demon. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a two and a half out of five right down the middle because I definitely can't take away from its aesthetic, but uh, everything else uh, I, can, I can do without. So that'll give uh, the original Suspiria an average rating of uh, 3.3 out of five pods. And now we're going to move on to the new one that just came out um, <laughs> and continuing our contentious episode. Uh, our roles were reversed in this movie. <laughs> I thought this movie was excellent and you did not like it very I, much. Yeah, it, this movie was a mess. It was a two and a half hour tonal mess. Yeah, so I guess we can kind of go over the basics. This movie came out this year, just uh, about a week ago, a little less. Yeah, just a um, few days ago. Uh, um, it was directed by Luca Gargiano. Guadagnino, I yeah, think. Uh, something like that. Who who last year did uh, Call Me By Your Name, call, yeah. or Call Me By Your Boyfriend's Name, or whatever. <laughs> uh, a film that I still have not seen, but I know a lot of people really loved. I, I hated that not. movie. Uh, I have not gone out of my way to see it, because I kind of think that I will also not like it. It doesn't particularly seem like my jam i don't i don't really like love stories in terms of films i think they're kind of boring but i i went into this movie with no expectations i saw one trailer uh and obviously we talked about uh an article written about it a few months ago um, when they showed one specific scene to a group of people at a luncheon and people were like getting up and leaving because it was so grotesque and stuff. So other than that, I, I, I went into this movie knowing relatively nothing. And I think that maybe because I don't really like the original Suspiria that I was more accepting of this movie in general because it's really very very different in a lot of ways i think it's kind of the opposite of the original suspiria where much more focus is put on the narrative and the storytelling and the characters and it's much less uh outwardly stylistic it does like it does get stylistic especially over time there's kind of an escalation of the surrealism and the dreaminess um but it, it's nothing like what Argento did in in terms of style. So in that sense, I think these movies are kind of polar opposites, which probably explains why we each feel opposite about them. Well, it's interesting because I I feel like one of the core problems in this movie is you can tell Gargiano Guadagnino. Guadagnino has strong love for the original in a lot of ways. And I think that's, almost kind of its shortcoming because I feel like this movie is tonally all over the place and a mess and it never seems to know what it really wants to be. Um, it just kind of throws a bunch of different subplots at the wall 
a ton of different, you know, ideas and even tones at the wall. And I think none of them are developed quite well enough to really let any of them shine in particular. Um, for example, you, you have a lot of different subplots in this movie that I thought were fairly unnecessary. I, I, th I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. I don't think there's a lot of different subplots. I think... You have the I, Bader Minhoff, you have the Holocaust stuff. That will... You have... A lot of... I think a lot of that is not so much subplot as it is building the setting. Uh, but but they, they give so much emphasis on, say, let's, let's start with the Bader-Meinhof stuff. They give that stuff so much emphasis in the movie that you're to assume that it's working towards the themes of the movie. And if if it was trying to make a point with that stuff, it was over my head because it didn't make any sense I think, why it was connected to anything that was going on in the movie. I think that that was, once again, I think that that served more for for setting the, the world that the story takes place in because I think the Bader-Meinhof stuff is uh, the reason why there wasn't more like police involvement in the shit that was happening and the deaths and stuff like that because but the social realism angle didn't really work for me because i th i feel like the best social realist movies use that kind of stuff to work towards ideas and it if it's just solely towards world building i feel like it's kind of half baked at its core and I feel like on top of that, the social realism was totally at odds with, you know, the more extreme expressionistic stuff in this movie. I, I, no, I, I disagree, actually, because I think that the setting for this film is very important because having it set in Cold War Berlin in the late 70s, uh, which is the same setting as the original, but the original doesn't address that at all. I think the particular like time and place that it's in and that the, the coven of witches has been around since before World War II. So they went through World War II in Berlin and then, you know, saw the the divide after with the, the separation of the city and the country, you know, into the, you know, communist, uh, East and the democratic quote unquote West. Uh, I, I think that that, that world building is important for why the coven is doing what they're doing and the way they behave and fleshing out their motivations. But I, I think even that stuff was half-baked because it didn't properly add that towards motivations in any sort of clear way. And this movie does a really weird thing where, like, it leaves stuff up, quote-unquote, to interpretation. I would say it just loosely throws stuff at the wall and it goes between that and just explicitly, you know, explaining what is going on. It does over-explain some things a little bit too much. I agree with that. Uh, I do think that at times it could uh, just trust its audience to to figure out what's happening a yeah. little bit more than, than explicitly spelling it out. Yeah, there's a couple of moments where it gets really egregious when they're like, oh, we're giving... Susie dreams, you know, like we could have like interpreted that 
you know yeah or or for example there's an awesome sequence where they tell Susie to improvise a dance and we get that intercut with shots of Marco's under the floorboards like reaching up towards the floor and you get this balance between like Susie Susie writhing on the floor and Marco's underneath and I thought that intercut was super cool right. and really well done but in the immediate next scene they're like why did you put Marcos under the floor yeah you know? no, I, I will I I will totally give you that the the over explanation of a few of those things is really very very unnecessary and I I guess we can go ahead and get into my biggest problem with the movie uh, in terms of the subplots, which I think is the only major subplot, and it just does not work at all because it it's so completely irrelevant to the rest of the film. You well, and that's the thing, you know, because they give it almost an hour of the film's running time. I would say probably altogether. Yeah, and um, no, I I agree and that's that's why that's what keeps me from considering the new Suspiria almost a perfect film is because that that subplot is so disjointed. You have this uh this like old psychiatrist who we see at the beginning uh talking with Chloe Grace Moretz who uh, has run away from the academy and she's like crazy and talking about witches and stuff. But then you have him sort of investigating the the academy for the rest of the movie, but none of his investigation has any sort of really direct impact on the plot. And there's all this stuff about him feeling guilty about the disappearance of his wife back in the war because she had to she had to flee Nazi Germany because they didn't like fill out her Aryan papers in time or whatever and it i kept waiting for this to come around and somehow be relevant to the main plot about Susie and the the academy and the witches and it never fucking was even by the end it had zero impact on the actual plot well and it is given like a collective 45 minutes to an hour of screen time yeah it feels like they were trying really hard to you know give this subplot that added to themes and ideas of the movie but it didn't but it didn't it didn't didn't. and it just made the rest of the movie unclear and i think the movie kind of grinds to near a halt and kind of kills the tension of the movie whenever that stuff is going on yeah i i can agree that it it does get boring at, at those times and another very confusing decision about that is that the old man is played by tilda swinton in old man makeup yeah <laughs> for and no reason no reason at all i think the uh the makeup is pretty good but at I mean, the same yeah. time like it's like it's effective like she does look like an old man but it was bothering me the entire movie because like they still use Tilda Swinton's voice so I was the whole time I was thinking like why does this old man have like a lady's voice like it was just bothering me and I kept I'm like is that a lady in in old man makeup and I kept looking I'm like wait a second is that Tilda Swinton 
And I looked at the IMDb page after we got out of the movie, and sure enough, it was. And I I can't think of a reason why they made that decision. Because not only is the character completely irrelevant and, and meaningless to the, the central plot, but also why go to the trouble of doing Tilda Swinton up in really complicated, really good makeup for such a, a pointless character. Yeah, well, and that's the thing with several points in this movie is I feel like it's yelling at the audience where we're an artistic movie. We're trying to say something deep, but it doesn't seem like they really know what they're trying to say. A lot of times, I, I feel I, like the most effective parts are the parts where the director allows himself to just go into schlockier, more visceral sequences, um, where it's like the original, more expressive, and you know gets at that feeling and emotion more than like literally spelling the story out. Because in a lot of ways, I feel kind of similar how you do with the original i think the story is kind of the the weakest point in this and i feel like they could have gone two ways with this one much like the you were saying with the original they could have either focused their narrative and really taken one core idea and really pinned on on it and you know kind of cut a lot of the fat out or they could have pulled a lot of the story and let more of the scene speak for themselves. And I feel like since it's riding that ground, it doesn't really effectively do either one. I, I would say that I I actually think the narrative, the, the core narrative, I'm I'm putting aside the psychiatrist stuff. Um but like the core narrative I think is actually done pretty effectively uh i i think it's much more developed than in the original i think the characters are much more developed and have actual motivations i they they don't set any sort of pretenses that this movie might not be about witches they they let you in on on that fact pretty early on in the movie my problem is they don't hone on on one idea you know they have they have a the character study of Susie. They have the uh, the witches trying to summon. They have Sarah's story, and these three kind of through lines clash in a lot. of I disagree. Ways. I think I think they all because I, I feel like they're not developed enough. Any of the I any of the I stories I, on their I, own. I disagree. I think that they that the three of them work pretty well together in tandem i think that there's a couple of abrupt shifts in perspective that are a little bit jarring because at a certain point it it sort of shifts perspective from Susie to sarah and there's not really a a super effective transition between those two but the the two on their own i don't have a problem with I I like that there's that there's motivational backstory for Susie's character having left uh you know her family who is Amish Mennonite yeah yeah and uh you know being obsessed with dance and obsessed with this particular dance company she's seen Tilda Swinton dance in New York 3 times 
uh, you know, she's, she's ran away from the Amish each of those times to go see her and was punished. And so has been like, she wants to leave that really strict, uh, lifestyle and, you know, make and go and make something of herself. So there you have the more motivation for her. I than- mean, I think the backstory of that works well, but the arc in the movie doesn't work. She starts, you know, afraid of what's going on. And then suddenly she's complicit in it to the point where she's speaking telepathically to. Well, it, she's she's coming into herself through the the tutelage of Tilda Swinton's character. But I feel like the arc is so sloppy because we it's so abrupt when it goes from her as an unwilling, unknowing participant to her just in on it and like to the point where she's going out with the witches and speaking telepathically. I mean, only in the act before that, only less than 15 minutes before that, she was nervous about Sarah being gone. She was worried about uh, the bizarre cop thing she saw. Yeah, but she's she's being this whole time. She's being like magically groomed because the coven wants to have her be the new vessel for their leader, Marcos, who is dying so they they you know they're trying to magically groom her to be the new vessel and so tilda swinton is sort of like working with her personally under the the pretense of like teaching her to dance but it's obvious that for this coven running a dance academy that the dances are integral to their rituals so I think there's I, a I lot of... I understand why it's done. Well, yeah, but it feels like there's a lot of magical brainwashing happening, you know, that she that they're exerting their influence on her as witches in a way that they're drawing something out of her that has remained locked away for her whole life under this really strict sort of totalitarian Christian, uh, you know, Amish upbringing. Well, I just think... The- the the shift between that is not developed in the movie it's just an abrupt shift from one end to the other yeah to to an extent i can and, agree with that and i think that's why the arc fails i mean i think the backstory makes sense and the shift if it was there it would have been really good I mean, but that, i think that the the shift is not there it's, I, I, it's so I, abrupt i agree that, that the transition is is sloppy but i don't think that the entire arc fails because the the shift is sloppy i don't think that that is that that like over overwrites everything else that the movie has been doing i think if they would have taken the time to actually make it a transformation rather than just making it a, an abrupt shift, it would have worked so much better for me. I'll, I'll give you that. Like, they, they definitely could have developed that shift better, but I think by by the time you get the revelation at the end of who Susie actually is to the coven, that it it's it makes some of that a little more forgivable for me. It's still definitely not perfect, but in a movie that's already two and a half hours long, like... But I mean, like, if it's trying to do a character study, like, the point is showing that transformation. 
You know, it isn't just showing the background and why a transformation would work if they did it. You know, you I, have to actually do I think it. it I think movie. it shows I think it shows a fair amount of transformation, but there is sort of a jump where it's on like a gradual upswing and then all of a sudden it just kind of skyrockets, but I I don't think it goes from 0 all the way to 100 in the change between one scene to the next it feels like it's missing the whole second act of that arc though and the second act is usually the biggest section you know it jumps from the very beginning of that shift to oh she's full-on ready to go and i feel like it 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 felt so sloppy i mean but the the dance that they're working on specifically is uh you know a dance that Tilda Swinton and the rest of the witches have choreographed together, so it's obviously ritualistic. And we see so much of Susie working on that dance, and she's playing the protagonist in the dance, so she's really the central element. And there's so much development of her, you know, perfecting that choreography and at times railing against it, trying to say, wouldn't it be better if I did such and such at this time? But then, you know, being told very, you know, hard, like, no, you have to do this exactly one way. And I think that the progression of her mastering the dance is a lot of, of, that transformation of her being brought into the coven. And that's one of the times where they don't overstate that explicitly, which I think is, is the the correct way to do it because it, it allows you to, they don't overstate it, but they don't develop it either. I don't think, I, I think it's very half baked. I mean, she starts as a great dancer and she continues through the movie as a great dancer, even though at one point she, you know, wants to do one of the moves differently. Like, she gets shut down immediately about that. I mean, she she has great natural talent, which is why they select her in the first place, but... She she definitely doesn't do it perfectly to start with. You know, there is a lot of, of her working on specific things. You know, they want her to work on her jumps specifically. And, you know, the first couple of the, – the very first time she does it, uh, you know, she she collapses halfway through it. So, you know, there there definitely is, is a, an, an arc, I think. Well, that's one of those sequences where I thought the magic was really half-baked because it feels like they were trying to, like, bring magic upon through the height of the jumps. You know, you even get it with the other person jumping, and then immediately after they're done, when they're all walking out, they collapse and start foaming at the mouth or whatnot. Yeah, because I think they the the idea with that was the witches like transferring the other girl's jumping ability into Susie kind of a, a transference of power cuz we see a lot of that in the movie like that first time she dances where Tilda Swinton like touches her hands and her feet and then it's intercut with uh the other girl like down in the mirrored room being telepathically thrown around and like twisted up into a really gross nasty human yeah, pretzel Yeah I thought that that 
scene was incredible. I thought the 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 CG of the 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 glowing oh the little ha- bit of a glow on her hands was kind of goofy. A little bit. I didn't I didn't think it was too overdone. It it looked a little bit goofy, but I think it was subtle enough that it didn't bother me terribly. Um, I, I do think that that scene is one of the strongest in the movie, especially, especially in the way that it's cut between the two and how you have, you know, the, the music in the ones like when it's Susie dancing and then it cuts to the other girl being thrown around and there's no, there's no music. So you can hear the sounds of like her bones breaking and shit. And it's really quite visceral it's brutal it was that was the scene that we had talked about uh from the article several months ago and i can see why people watching that over lunch were losing their appetites and getting (laughs) up and leaving uh a bunch of people who had no idea what they were getting into after call me by your name right right um and that is one of the things that i think this movie does really well is the horror atmosphere and stuff i think is is really strong i i think when it does spectacle when it does those very unflinching brutal visceral scenes it's the strongest point of the movie the the problem i have with the atmosphere is it doesn't build tension to those points because after every scene basically of those like it eventually cuts back to the Tilda Swinton doctor professor character and kills any you know I mean, energy that the movie had those those particular scenes are quite devoid of tension I I will agree but I I I think that when it is still focusing on the stuff in the dance academy with what the witches are doing and Sarah's investigation I think all of that stuff is pretty good at building tension but it's quiet enough that it makes the the really brutal scenes more effective because they are so gruesome and so stand out and having a lot of like quiet moments in between them makes those escalations a lot more effective well let's talk about the mystery with sarah a little bit more so unlike the original suspiria where sarah had susie to bounce off of to not be in this mystery alone sarah's basically alone trying to figure the stuff out and i think that's kind of a shortcoming of it because she doesn't have the stuff to bounce it off it feels like she's making these jumps in logic where she's following footsteps over like two floors into yeah, that was a, a little bit room. that, and that's something that I think was a bit too much of a nod to the the original following the footsteps because it did make a little less sense in this movie because she was counting the footsteps over such fast distances. Yeah, I think they I think they could have found better ways for her to discover the the witch's inner sanctum. But I think when she does that, that those scenes are are quite effective. Yeah, but that's like the the climax of that subplot. I would argue the the whole rest of it is really messy in its execution. I think when they they do start with her and Susie, you know, looking for clues in the office, for example. Yeah, they break into the office to try trying to, find to find the files of the missing on, girls. Yeah. yeah. And while Sarah's looking for stuff, Susie sneaks into the next room where she hears something and she sees a bunch of the 
uh, witches laughing maniacally and playing around with this hypnotized cop. Yeah, and like tickling his dick with like a with like a a large metal hook. I did think that was weird. I, not specifically that scene itself, but the fact that Susie leaves the room and goes back to Sarah and says nothing about it. Like she doesn't seem taken aback by discovering this at all. Yeah, that was that was definitely a little it weird. Felt like it was so out of place with the mystery of that. But what Stuff. I what I what I like about Susie's transition and how it sort of ends up with her falling away from Sarah is that she and Sarah start out very close like they become friends really quickly uh and you know to the point where like Sarah Susie's having a night terror and Sarah comes to comfort her and they like lay down in bed together and there's you know to an extent uh I think some some homoerotic uh, undertones there, which makes sense for, you know, Susie being repressed as a child and a virgin and sort of like coming into herself. It's like a coming of age thing. But then as she's coming more under the influence of the witches, you know, she's more brushing Sarah aside when Sarah really needs her. So I think that their their separation actually works because it shows the the witch's influence working on Susie and Sarah having to investigate and discover these horrible things on her own yeah, when she should when she should have her friend by her side. The thing is it's not an uh an investigation though, really. You know, in a similar way to the original, she ends up talking to the doctor who just gives her an info dump. Right. And, like, the other big investigation scene we get is her following the footsteps, which once she gets down to the sanctum, it's a really effective scene. But there's no sense of discovery or, you know, investigation, really. It's just taking her to that set piece, you know, like... There's no arc in that either. Yeah, that that arc is somewhat half-baked. Like, it's established that she was Chloe Grace Moretz's friend before all this happened, so she's concerned and wants to figure out what happened, which is why they break into the office in the first place. But yeah, the stuff with the doctor coming to her and being like, oh, your friend was obsessed with witches, and then Sarah's just like, whatever, fuck you, that's stupid, and then she discovers the witches and goes back to the doctor and be like, ah, witches. That that stuff was unnecessary and yeah, stupid. Well, and yeah, well, and I think that's, like, the core of what I'm trying to get at is, like, there's a lot of arcs that have a strong context behind them. But I think they're trying to do so many different arcs with this that they don't give any of any single arc proper time to develop and become focused. I, I just think that those that the three main arcs in the central story are like interconnected well enough that that stuff didn't bother me terribly. Also, just because we we learn more about the characters and we get to know them more. So I think you care about or at least I did. I cared about about Susie and Sarah. I mean, more so than I did the in fact that the we original had context didn't change the fact that they didn't develop for me, really, like in in the sense of the narrative arc progressing. 
in a satisfying way. And I think even with the 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 witches subplot, that the arc was kind of muddied by things like one of the witches suddenly stabbing themselves in the neck for basically no reason or this this power dynamic between Marcos and Blanche which is a uh, Blanc which is not properly I feel like developed quite enough I wanted to see a bit more struggle in that kind of power dynamic I I don't think you can do that without revealing Marcos as a character too early on because I, I, what I like about that is that there's constantly the the discussion between the coven, like who's in charge, and they have the part at the beginning where they all vote on, you know, who remains in power, and Marcos wins over Blanc by like three votes. But we, but Marcos is absent, so we've got this sort of like nebulous leader of the coven who we don't know anything about, and she's mysterious. And the most we see of her before the end of the movie is like her her hand, you know, touching the bottom of the floorboard when Susie's dancing and it's all like rotten and has like these long talon like fingernails. So, I mean, if you've seen the original, like, you know, basically who the character is, but I, in that stuff, I, I didn't have a problem with it because yeah, there's, there's a, a, a power struggle dynamic, but for the whole movie, Tilda Swinton seems like she's the one in charge, but she can't really make any of the the decisions because there is somebody over her. Well, so, yeah, the power dynamic was there, but they didn't build it up well enough. I think, like you said, you know, the only time we saw Marcos was under the floorboards, and they, you know, explicitly lay it out that that was Marcos under right. the floorboards. Well, yeah, that's that's if too much was, over explanation. If more of a dynamic between what she has told people to do, you know, and what Blanc wants to do. I think they had a little bit of that, but it was still kind of half-baked. It wasn't fully developed. It wasn't fully given the time to gestate, I think, in the movie, just because I think he really wanted to keep that bit of mystery. But I think the fact that it was juggling that mystery with you know, laying things out explicitly and several different other storylines, it just feels unfocused and messy. I don't know. I I think that there's there's actually a lot of development there with them saying early on that like Marcos wants Susie to be her new vessel and they're like, we have to do the ritual or whatever now. And Tilda Swinton is actually is like, no, not it's too soon. The last one failed. Like we have to actually take the time to properly groom this girl and get her ready. And a big part of that is making her willing to do it. But through the course of her becoming close with Susie, we start to see that Tilda Swinton is second guessing, actually making her the the new vessel for Marcos. So that's development for Blanc's character, and she starts to become more unwilling. And then leading up to the climax, when Susie herself seems very willing, and Tilda Swinton is now all of a sudden the one with doubts about it. I think that sort of shift between the two of them is interesting. The problem I have is, 
you assume Chloe Grace Moretz's character is the one that they were trying to make a vessel right. for. And she is just gone crazy because of it. Right. In a way you see none of in Susie, really. Well, right, but there's also because... Aside from being at the Dance Academy, Chloe Grace Moretz was also very politically active. She, They talk all the time about her wanting to fight the regime in Berlin and talks about her, you know, meeting with, like, resistance people. So ultimately, she was unwilling to be groomed to become the new vessel for Marcos, and she was resisting it which is what caused her to go crazy i guess but i i feel like that stuff wasn't done very clearly um just because i mean i thought it was pretty clear to me i guess well it was in there but i mean i think it juggled between being an excuse for them to kill her and the fact that we didn't see any of Chloe Grace Moretz outside of that one scene. It felt like we needed to take these context clues of what other people said to be her character rather than her actually having a complex character. You know, we didn't get any sort of flashbacks of her. Yeah, I I guess, else. but like in the opening scene when she goes to the doctor, like I think we we see enough of what all of this has done to her in the way that she's behaving uh, with the doctor, and then to have her vanish and have, you know, her disappearance be one of the mysteries, particularly what Sarah is trying to investigate because they were friends, but have her be, like, totally gone. I But I, Sarah was super resistant to the idea that she was really political. Yeah, she was, but they were but they were still close. They were still friends. Yeah, so how, how was she political if Sarah was close to her and saying she wasn't that political? You know, like it it's at odds with each other and like on top of that, I think having... I don't think Sarah was saying that she wasn't political. I think she was just saying she didn't agree with uh, Chloe Grace Moritz's sort of revolutionary ideas. I don't think she she ever denied that she was that person. She just didn't agree with it. And that's, you know, the excuse they keep having for her going missing is like, oh, she must have just run off and is now, like, bombing shit, you know? To have Sarah sort of be like, I don't think that that's what happened to her. I think there's something else happening, you know, and something else happened that, to her. I, I had trouble with the the political angle that this movie took, especially with the social realistic kind of tones it was taking. I feel like, again, it was trying to say something, but not really coherently saying anything. Like, what does it mean that because she was active politically, she was she was resistant to magic? You know, what is that actually saying? Well, it's because she I don't know if it's it's saying something explicitly, but it shows that she was not as passionate about dance as someone like Susie was, which made her more of the ideal candidate for their grooming because she wanted to be the best. She wanted to be the protagonist in this dance 
And, you know, this was everything that her life had been building up to, whereas Chloe Grace Moretz had different things that she was really passionate and concerned with. And maybe she did start out as being more, you know, into the dance, but at living in Berlin with all of the the stuff that was happening politically, that she sort of moved away from the dance and into into more you know political concerns and that's what made her so resistant to to the grooming like the idea of passion and dedication to art is the concept they were going out with it would you say i mean maybe but i like i said before like the obviously the act of of dance and the ritual of dance is integral to these witches magic so i i think that if somebody is not truly committed to to the dance and to the movements and doing everything just right like they need for their rituals then it makes it harder whereas Susie's character is you know willing to the point that she's she'll even like abandon her friend Sarah because she's so dedicated to to dancing yeah, I I just feel like for a two hour, two and a half hour movie that screams we're an art film. Look at our subtext, you know, like look at what we're trying to say, especially with you know the Holocaust uh, doctor subplot and the Bader Meinhof stuff. Like it's not actually trying to say something super coherent with you know what it's i didn't i didn't i didn't get the i didn't get the idea that it was trying to make any sort of socio-political statement i i again think that that was just important to setting the stage for what was happening in in the dance academy whereas you've got this really you know hyper realistic setting and reasons for the way the world is where they are but at the same time you've got this isolated dance academy where it's not hyper realistic because there's you know there's magic happening so i think i think all of the the political stuff and the setting is just primarily giving a world for this magical story to take place in set as a as sort of an opposing backdrop but still having an effect upon upon the world i just just don't buy that because it's given almost an hour plus of the movie's runtime i do really think that the the whole doctor subplot is just so wildly unnecessary like i that it does it does sort of drag the movie down at at a lot of moments because it is two and a half hours well, and, and if you cut out that whole subplot i think the rest of the movie would be much tighter and more focused and i even think if it was more coherently connected to the themes and the subplot of or subtext of the movie i think it would have worked better but the fact that it, it didn't really connect to the rest of it smoothly or coherently it muddied the rest of the movie for me well that's that subplot is definitely the film's biggest shortcoming i would honestly very much like to see an edit of this movie with that whole subplot removed and see how the film stands but 
you know, that being said, despite that whole subplot, I thought the rest of the movie was so well done that it ultimately didn't harm my enjoyment of the film too much. Like, it is two and a half hours long, but I don't think I was ever really bored. There were times where I thought that things were kind of dull, but every time it would, you know, take me back to the Academy and show me more of that progression with Susie and Tilda Swinton and stuff, that it would just, it just won me over again. I think if this movie, instead of being two and a half hours plus long... It was an hour and a half, and instead of six hour, six acts plus an epilogue, it was a more limited story in you know three or four acts. I think it would have been much more effective. I think if they would have focused on just one or two of these these arcs that they're trying to do and really hone in on it and give it weight and give it the full transformative arc that it deserves. I think the the tension of the visceral horror scenes would have been elevated to what it deserves because I, I feel like the visceral horror, body horror scenes in this movie are incredible. I you know, I think the like we said, the mirror room scene is incredible. The scene where Sarah is discovering the bodies in the sanctum is incredible. Um, when they're all like disfigured and amputated and stuff, right. the the whole final sequence is incredible. Yeah, but it just feels kind of flattened and dulled because we have so much other stuff in it. I feel like if it was more focused. If it would have taken more of its time to do less, it would have been more effective and it would have hit harder. I I can I can agree with that. It, it in its current form, it didn't bother me as much as it did you, but I do think that if it had a little bit more focus and some of the fat was trimmed that it would be close to a perfect film, if not a perfect film. Where as it stands, there, there, there is there is a lot of fat and there's a lot of filler that I I think from a filmmaking standpoint is effect is handled adequately, but it it does at times draw attention away from what the movie is really about uh, to its to its detriment. Yeah. Um, I, I will say in comparison to the original, I think the payoff, uh, at the end, uh, is much more satisfying and much more deserved. Yeah. I, I, I think the payoff is really strong in this movie and I think it for the most part is stronger than the original in that respect. But at the same time, it's so over the top that it, it kind of felt at odds with the social realism in the movie. I feel like if they would have toned down the social realism a little bit, gotten, and this might just be in the editing, you know, might, if they cut out the, the whole doctor's stuff, it would have felt more warranted, I guess. Maybe not warranted, but like it would have felt less direct with the social realism. And I would have forgiven that abrupt shift a little bit more i yeah to to an extent but at the same time i think that uh 
you know, there is sort of a gradual escalation of, of surrealism in this movie that really peaks with that final scene. And I think having the backdrop of the social realism makes that surrealism almost more effective because of how starkly different they are, that you've got this this very realistic, uh, dark world that this, this whole magical thing is set against. And then when you get to that climax, which is just totally insane and surreal and horrifying, it, 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 I think it plays as sort of a good foil for some of the, the realism. I, I still do think that all the doctor stuff could, could be done away with just because it feels like a completely different movie. But, uh, I, I think the, I think the setting honestly heightens the, the magical elements of, of the movie because it fe- it seems like a world that magic doesn't exist in so when magic does exist it i think it's more effective because of that yeah but the tension in discovering that is spelled out for you which kind of kills at, some of at, at times not you know, always but at which times, kills yeah. some of it for me i think i i've seen a lot of this comparison online and i even mentioned it when we were going out of the theaters i see a lot of similarities between this movie and mother both in the the ex, uh, escalation of spectacle um kind of its style at times um especially with things like punch-ins and camera movement and stuff like that as well as the idea that mother kind of throws everything at the wall to see what sticks and the story is one of the the parts where like you either can ignore some of the the details that don't make the most sense and enjoy the the spectacle and the you know primal visceralness of the movie or it will turn you off and i feel like this movie is a similar way where camera movement is really strong the escalation is totally there but there's a lot of details in the story where it just feels thrown on or thrown together and if you ignore it it'll make it a stronger film for you but if you focus on it it can take away from the experience yeah i i can see that the comparison to mother is interesting for me because i really did not like mother very much and i liked this movie a lot um but i i can see the comparison in that escalation uh maybe i just like the story that this movie is telling better than mother like that that might be what separates them the most for me well i'll agree you know i think mother is a dumber movie than this movie I think it's a dumber movie that thinks it's smarter. I don't even know if it thinks it's smarter because I I think it's dumber, but that makes me forgive it more because of the spectacle and because it's about an hour shorter and it's mostly spectacle driven, like the story doesn't bog me down. Yeah, I guess, but... Man, Aronofsky is a pretentious fuck, and hearing hearing him, Gordiano is a well. I I don't know because I don't I haven't seen Call Me by Your Name, and I I don't know anything about him as a director. So maybe he is a pretentious fuck. But like listening to Aronofsky talk about Mother, like it's 
like it's a, a brilliant masterpiece of an allegory and when it is really just kind of dumb spectacle I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I mean, know much about Luca Guadagnino. I feel like this movie is a very similar thing because he's like, this is a brilliant allegory type of thing. But, you know, it's really not saying that much. I think the biggest strengths of this movie are its horror scenes. But that stuff is the strongest, but it's cut in between an hour plus of filler material. Yeah, no, the filler is is definitely problematic. I I don't know. It doesn't. This movie doesn't feel particularly pretentious to me. Um, it is definitely art housey. Um, I I appreciate some of the the art house sensibilities in telling a horror story. Uh, the whole love story with the doctor and his missing wife. Uh, who has a cameo? It's a fucking uh, Jessica Harper um, <laughs> later on, but she's just an illusion or whatever. That now that whole thing, it it just feels like a different movie. Like yeah. it's it's like, why are you telling me this? I'm I'm here to watch the the dance witches do some horrifying oh black magic. When when they were cutting to like flashbacks of him and uh, his wife just pointing at the corner of the wall where they drew a heart and like smiling and at their it. initials it was yeah. just so corny oh my god well, yeah the the love Ugh. the love story thing was just so at odds with the rest of the movie and i almost wonder if because his last film was call me by your name if luca guadagnino felt the need to incorporate some kind of like heartfelt romantic angle into this movie i I think what he was trying to do is show his love for the original by shoehorning uh, a romance with the original lead. Oh yeah, could be. Even though like she's only in like one scene, it's yeah. mostly just Tilda but Swinton they, Doctor. They intercut it with some corny ass. Yeah, sure. You know, sequences. Um, let's, I, let's, oh, do you have anything else? Well, I, I think about? we I think we should talk a little bit about the the end. Um, okay, the, spoiler the zone. Yeah, heavy spoiler zone. Um, this revelation I actually enjoyed quite a bit. It's established earlier in the film in some sort of unnecessary exposition that there are three original like mother witches who, as the doctor says, uh, predate God, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> um, and uh, it's established that Marcos thinks that she is the reincarnation of one of these witches, hence why she needs a new vessel so she can live on. Um, and when Susie comes to the ritual at the end, which is this really weird, horrifying dance number, you know, Marcos tells her, like, you have to, uh, like, disavow your your real mother because you only have one mother, uh, and then... Uh, it's revealed that Susie is in fact the actual reincarnation of one of these mother witches and she like summons death and kills all of the witches who voted for Marcos over Blanc Um, and it's pretty spectacularly gory and stylized and 
I thought overall pretty effective and a nice subversion of that idea of her just willingly going into sacrificing herself when instead she has uh, ascended to like who she's truly meant to be. Yeah, I, I really like that too. I, I wish there was a little more build up to it because you get a couple scenes where they build up to it, which I thought were really nice. Like uh, you get her... Uh, Susie's mother, like on her deathbed, talking about how she, her daughter was born of sin or whatnot. Right. And she looks horrified. But it doesn't really emphasize that. And, you know, that kind of adds to the surprise of it. But at the same time, if there was a little more context clues that would have added to that, I, 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 I kind of was hoping for that. But I think I think when it does do the shift, it is visually stunning. What yeah. do you think of the the red filter over everything? Um, at first, when it first started happening, I didn't like it, be, especially because it would cut between like shots of Susie and she wasn't red lit, and then the rest of the room was red lit. But then as as it sort of took over and consumed everything i thought it was actually pretty effective it seemed like somewhat of a nod to the original with like the the uh, really oversaturated color and to have this room completely red lit while this incarnation of death walks around making people's heads literally explode and so there's blood everywhere but the entire screen is already red lit so the blood just looks black uh i i thought that was that was pretty spectacular yeah and especially how for a lot of it it's in um low frame rate slow motion which was i a decision that i was confused about at first because you know there's a lot of motion blur and tracing and it looked kind of weird but then once Susie takes her place in the middle of the room and all the dancers are like moving around her and it transitions to a higher frame rate but still in slow motion so all of a sudden it's really smooth and fluid i thought that was actually really cool yeah i i i like that personally i'm not i've never been a fan of using low frame rate slow motion i'm generally not either um, but i think it was effective in that scene yeah i i understand what they were trying to do with it and it worked somewhat for me um better than a couple of the other times when they used low frame rate slow motion in this movie yeah like when the doctor was walking through the snow that yeah. was confusing that was weird. that was confusing um yeah. i i thought the marco's creature design was really good yeah she looked like a like cronenberg-esque frog monster kind of yeah I, um, I thought that was really cool. Overall, I thought that that final climax yeah. was so much better deserved than the original because there was an actual revelation of new information and it actually felt like there was present danger, not necessarily to Susie because she is the, you know, all of a sudden the all-powerful one. So there's a reversal of roles, but it actually felt like, yeah. like the rest of the movie has been building up to this. On the flip side, though, where uh, Suspiria's ending is a little too abrupt, I feel like they give a little too much time after that. The fucking epilogue is totally unnecessary. On 100%. They should have ended with the transformation Agreed. climax 100%. You know, I, 100%. I, I feel like seeing the other 
witches in the coven clean up the blood in the oh basement yeah was not good no and uh and then for Susie to go to the doctor at the very end and like reveal all the details about <coughs> what actually happened to his wife and then purge all of his memories <coughs> of his wife and the coven and her and everything that was so fucking unnecessary and it it made the the climax much less effective i think because it gave it too much time before the credits yeah i think if they had if that it ties everything up too cleanly that too. that wide shot of Susie in the center of the room with the people dancing around her when it transitions from low frame rate slow motion to high frame rate slow motion that should have cut to credits yeah at the, at the very at the end of that shot. i i totally agree I will, i'll agree with you on that 100 percent. yeah because it ties every it tries to tie everything up in a bow at the the end with the epilogue honestly like they even go to the uh other dancers and are like blanc has uh, left the company Suddenly. Oh, yeah. And then they cut back to, <laughs> to her with her head almost fully cut off, but she's still alive. Yeah. Um, that was, the, yeah, all of that was so unnecessary. I, I'm almost at the point where, like, when this movie uh, is released digitally, I almost want to download it and make my own fan edit because I don't even feel like it would be that difficult because there's just entire scenes that I think could be completely removed and cut it down by about an hour. Yeah, well, I think this movie would be fantastic if it was an hour shorter too so like i would be interested in seeing how that would end up all right well when it when it comes out digitally i'm gonna make a fan edit in my spare time <laughs> and i'm uh I'm, I'm gonna make this an even better movie but that being said and i'll move into ratings from this um i i I still really, really liked this movie. I went into it with no expectations and came out very pleasantly surprised. Um, I think in terms of its atmosphere and style and some of its horror, it's uh, one of my favorite movies of 2018 so far. Uh, it's not without its faults, but I think the stuff that it does so well can make some of those faults a little a little bit more forgivable. Um I overall, just because of how much I enjoyed this movie, I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five pods. Wow. Um, yeah, so I did not feel the same. Um, this movie, I, in my opinion, was kind of a tonal mess. It was trying very hard to say something, but it didn't know what it was trying to say coherently, I feel like. And uh, there were so many different things it was trying to throw at the wall that it failed to succeed at any specific one you know it failed for me as a character study it failed for me as uh you know a mystery it failed to me for me as a a drama with any sort of tension um where it did work is these visceral scenes of spectacle um which i think are some of the strongest of the year i just wish it was cut down to the point where it could focus on just one or two of these stories and tell it co more coherently and clearly and actually give it time to gestate and give transformation and really give 
the rest of the film tension and uh, really give the scenes of visceral horror more warranted context. Um, I think this movie was a mess. I wanted to like it. I think when it's good, it's so good that it just made the the hour plus of filler content so much more excruciating for me. Um, this film has a lot of the same problems that I have with Call Me By Your Name, ironically. Um, just that it gives over-importance to certain things without actually, like, trying to coherently say anything. Like, it's trying to emphasize that it is saying something without really going into, you know, what that implies when it's strong, once again, it's really strong. And I think the soundtrack, which we didn't really get to touch on, is really good. Uh, Tom York, I wanted yeah. them to bring in some of that Goblin theme just because it slaps and it's so iconic. I was surprised they but didn't. The, yeah. the restraint was uh, unexpected. I do think Tom York's um, score was, was pretty damn good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty effective and pretty restrained. Though it did sound very Radiohead-esque at times. That didn't yeah. <laughs> bother me too much. Um, I would give this a two and a half out of five. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a mess, but when it's good, it's really good. Um, okay, well, that will give the new Suspiria an average rating of three and a half out of five pods. Ultimately, we felt so opposite about both films that they ended up with almost the exact same average rating. Um, so, yeah, this may have been our most divisive, contentious episode yet. I would be very curious to hear some of our listeners' thoughts on both of these movies, um, especially considering that you and I are so often on mostly the same page in terms of our taste. Um, the fact that we were so divided on both of these films uh, really makes me curious what other people think. So yeah, hit us up on social media and tell us what you think of these two movies, uh, which camp you're in. I do have one thing I want to read. In oh, lieu of not having a Metacritic corner, I have a little article that someone posted on Twitter about uh, Luca Guardiano, however you say his last name, that I thought was fucking hilarious, and I want to find it and read it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read this whole thing. It's it's four screen caps. Guadagnino? Guadagnino, I think, Guadagnino. is how it's pronounced. Okay, so... This guy is the most Italian guy ever. Oh, yes. Just preface it by saying that. In light of Guadagnino's successes outside Italy, he has become known among the upper strata within it. The hosts that evening were Anna Federici and her husband, Robert Diagnostio, who goes by Dago. <laughs> Federici is an heiress to a family of Italian builders. Dago founded an Italian news site, Dago Spia, a witty idiosyncratic blog of politics, gossip, and soft porn. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which Political recently described as a must read for the Italian elite. Gotta get your soft porn. <laughs> Isn't that the most Italian elite thing, though? Yes. <laughs> Upstairs, Dago greeted Guadagino. Uh, wearing blue-tinted sunglasses, silver jewelry, and tattoos from the fingers to the to his ears. 
His chin sported a long Van Dyke. Federici wore interesting glasses and a chestnut bob framed by white. Guadagino uh, accepted a glass of rosé and wandered around. The balcony glowed with blinking neon palm trees, an enormous Christ figurine, and illuminated statues of Silvio Berlusconi and Chairman Mao. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my fucking god! That is like the most fucking Italian elite nonsense I've ever right. heard. And this kind of makes me suspect of like Guadagnino actually trying to say anything in his movies. Oh my god! Because uh, he's just throwing imagery out. <laughs> he flopped into a pink love seat of. Two scoop-like concave chairs made for Vev Clicto, reportedly from the casting of a woman's breasts. Okay, yep. Nope, He's that makes sense. sitting in this big-ass titty, titty chair. chair. Yeah, all right. Um, they were separated by a champagne bucket filled with dildos. Okay. <laughs> At this point, nothing that you're saying is surprising <laughs> me. It all, it all is fitting right into place. <laughs> Dago came over, still wearing his sunglasses and sucking on a small, unlit cigar. Okay. <laughs> he wanted to show Guadagnino New Religion, a room-sized Damien Hirst piece about faith and pharmaceuticals, which he owned. Okay. Uh, yep. <laughs> Dago is a Catholic, Guadagnino explained. <laughs> he apologized in passing for the prudishness of the decor. What? <laughs> the prudishness yeah, of the you know. titty of the titty chair and the bucket full of dildos? And the Berlusconi Mao statues. Yep, that sounds pretty prudish to me. Down on the down on the lower floor that he'd converted into offices for the Dagaspia staff, he could give freer reign to his eclectic tastes. Oh, freer reign. Yeah, rain. you ready? Gotcha, yeah. A wall of sacred heart paintings. A set of black and red leather chairs shaped like penises. Yep. And on a coffee table, a set of delicate fine china plates bearing close-up photographs of fellatio and a trans person being penetrated from behind. Yeah, no, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Who are these people? Italian elites, man. Jesus Christ. Dinner was served. The guest file downstairs to the dining room passing a nude frontal photograph of a slender man with a pendulous member slender man with a big dick got it breshnikov's cock excuse me noyarev's cock guadagino said dago is very proud of it <laughs> <laughs> the table was decorated with a bla uh, brass hammer and sickle. Dago shut the dining room decor, uh, which was printed with a life-size posterior photo of a naked blonde woman in gold stilettos. An enormous uh, Anselm Kiefer canvas hung opposite Guadagnino. Conversation turned, on, uh, turned to film and to Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. That had been the age of Chanel and Dior, someone complained, and yet fashion was almost incidental to the movie. Guadagnino uh, pr protested. It is a film about the essence of love, he said. She poisons him, and he lets her poison him. 
I mean, I I will agree with Guadagnino on that one that Phantom Thread is not about fashion. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. Talk moved on to opera, but then somebody began attacking uh, Bernardo Bertolucci, and Guadagnino rose again in defense, looking flushed and sheepish. Bertolucci made major American studio works without abandoning his own aesthetic. Extraordinary, he said. In 2013, he and Fasano made Bertolucci on Bertolucci, a documentary in tribute. As servants began clearing the table for dessert, Dago presented Guadagnino with a gift in honor of his recent successes. A souvenir bottle of liqueur shaped like a penis and testicles. I'm sure Guadagnino was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep this. And then on his way out, immediately threw it into the nearest trash can. (laughs) Guadagnino stood to make a little speech of gratitude. And that's all I got from this. God damn. Jesus Christ. So Guadagnino is part of that group of Italian elites. Yeah. You know, like he's embedded in that. Man, well, good for him. That's some really, really dank content that he surrounds himself with. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good good for him, I guess. Uh, next week, we are going to be uh, talking about uh, Overlord, which comes out uh, in a few days. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll see if it does actually relate to the Cloverfield franchise at all. Um, it appears to be just about Nazi zombies, so uh, we'll see. Uh, the, the trailers make it look pretty fun. I'm I'm, hyped, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for it. Uh, I th- at the same time, memories of the Cloverfield paradox are not far from my mind, so I don't want to get too excited because the Cloverfield Paradox also looked good in trailers, but you know, we'll see. I I'm always down to watch some Nazis get killed. So I'm, I'm excited for, uh, for this movie in that respect. So check back next week for, uh, our thoughts on overlord. Uh, if you like the show, leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at pod people pod. Um, let us know what you thought about the new Suspiria and what you think of the original Suspiria. Um, tell us which one of us is right. Validate one of us and, de- <laughs> and destroy the other. Yeah, destroy our spirits. Um, break us, please. Tell us both we're awful and we suck. Yeah, tell and us. And we have small penises. Tell us that both movies are okay and neither of them are very good nor very bad. That would honestly be the most contentious thing to say, I think. <laughs> um, uh, follow us on Letterboxd uh, at letterboxd.com slash podpeoplepod. Um, you can see the list of all the films we've talked about on the show, our average ratings, and links to those episodes. Um, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. And I'm at Mr. Sheets. And thank you as always for listening. Check back with us next week for our episode on Overlord. And, uh, until next time, dance your fucking heart out, bitches. Witches. Yeah, play us out with that slapper. 